0: So America has changed, but I have good news. God has not. The implications of that may not grab you instantly, but I want you to remember that God said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I change not. What that means for you is if he loved you yesterday, he loves you today. If he loves you today, he loves you tomorrow. That means your sins forgiven yesterday are forgiven today, they're forgiven tomorrow because the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. America has changed, but God has not changed. These are days of shifting culture and spiritual warfare, unlike anything we have experienced in recent history as a nation. But I want to remind you, do not let the noisy sound and the clamor of the hour shake your faith. Your hope and your security is not based on man, but it is based on God himself. You have a divine destiny that the enemy cannot stop, but he will do everything in his power to sidetrack you and prevent you from realizing who you are in Christ and what God has for you, not only today, but in the days ahead. You see, God is arranging resources in your path to ensure your success. It is time for the church to stand in the power of God. It is time to resist the enemy and declare your authority in Christ. It is time to join your hands with the true church and crush the head of the serpent. It is time to protect your children and your children's children from the encroaching evil that seeks their destruction. It is time to put on the armor of God and stand against the enemy. It is time to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers and of the darkness and of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Are you ready to stand? Yeah. Then stand and give God the glory because this is a day this is a day that God wants. If you're going to stand, you're going to have to stand in the power of God, in the glory to the glory of God, giving him a shout of praise in every situation. Amen. Glory be to God. Thank you, may be seated. America has changed, but God is not. Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, one of my favorites, he is a a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, Stanford University, conservative, don't know how he ended up at Stanford. (laughs) Here's what he wrote recently, money is a construct. As he was looking at society today, he went on to say it can be created from thin air. Annual deficits and aggregate national debt no longer matter much. There was a time when politicians on a platform would say, we're going to balance the national budget. Those days are gone, money is a fiat, it does not exist, as seen by this recent infrastructure designed by our president of in the trillions of dollars that does not exist. Another thing is that laws are not necessarily binding anymore. Federal immigration laws are now void or null, Some rioters are prosecuted for violating federal laws, others not so much. Arrest, prosecutions, and trials are all fluid. Ideology governs when a law is still considered a law. What have we come to? It is a day of lawlessness. It is a day of setting aside important things like the First Amendment and wondering if we are going to exist as a nation, as a republic, in the days ahead. Racialism is now acceptable. We are defined first by our particular ethnic or religious tribe, only secondarily, if at all, by American commonality. The idea of nationalism, that we exist as a nation, seems to be vanishing before our very eyes. The immigrant is mostly preferable to the citizen. The newcomer, unlike the host, is not stained by the sins of the American founding and its history. Wokeness is the new religion, growing faster and larger than Christianity itself. Its priesthood outnumbers the clergy. It exercises far more power. Silicon Valley is the new Vatican, and Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Twitter are the new gospels. Americans privately fear these rules while publicly appearing to accept them. America has changed, but God is not. Naomi Wolf, a liberal whom I never thought I would quote multiple times, but she has come to a place of understanding the danger that we find ourselves in as a nation, whether you are to the right or to the left or somewhere in between. She is a Rhodes Scholar, Ph.D. from Oxford University, very bright woman. She recently said this, I cannot say this forcefully enough, this is the end of human liberty in the West if this plan, that is the vaccine passport, unfolds as planned. The vaccine passport sounds like a fine thing if you don't understand what these platforms can do. But I'm the CEO of a tech company, and I understand what this platform does. It is not about the vaccine. It is not about the virus. It is about your data. People need to understand that any other functionality can be loaded onto that platform with no problem at all. That means it can be merged with your PayPal account, digital currency, it geolocates you wherever you go, and all of your medical history can be included. It is the end of civil society, and they are trying to roll it out worldwide. It is much more than a vaccine pass, I cannot stress enough, that it has the power to turn off your life or to turn on your life. To let you engage in society, or be marginalized. And by the, last, by the way, the last thing I'll say is that IBM has a horrible history with Nazi Germany, with punch cards that allowed the Nazis to keep lists so that they could round up the Jews, round up the dissidents and opposition leaders. It is, a, it is catastrophic and it cannot be allowed to continue. By the way, that revelation came in a book written by uh, Edwin Black in 2001. It was never denied, no lawsuit was ever filed against IBM because they were behind all of the data collection for Nazi Germany in World War II. America's changed, but God is not. Jesus Christ burst on the scene, began to announce something that was long for awaited. That is that the message, the messenger of the Old Testament, the Messiah, had arrived. Almost immediately, he began to talk about the kingdom, about his own mission, that is, his death, burial, his resurrection, and the giving of life. The prediction of his resurrection is without debate. It's clearly seen throughout the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, it says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. No sign shall be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, the Jews longed for a sign. They wanted proof, and yet Jesus referred them back to their own writings, that is, the prophet Jonah. You see, Jesus believed that Jonah and the whale was a true story. He gave the analogy of his own life, and he said, just as I will be in the face of the earth three days and three nights just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, he was telling them about the plan that was going to unfold in the days ahead. You see, he came on the scene when he was 30 years old. We don't know much about him other than when he was about 12 and when he was born. But all of a sudden, at 30, he comes on and his ministry only lasts three years. Or should I say, it's still lasting because you've been transformed and I've been transformed. If you know Christ, you've been transformed by his power. The disciples didn't like to hear the message of his crucifixion. They somehow were in denial. They thought maybe he was mistaken. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted someone who would break the back of Rome. They wanted a powerful military leader. And yet it says in Matthew 16 and 21, From that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised up on the third day. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 3 the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up. So on and on and on, we see this continual message of this pulling from the Old Testament and predicting his own death and his own resurrection. So confused were they, even after he was crucified and raised from the dead, there were two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, recorded in Luke chapter 24, and they were talking among themselves, and Jesus appeared as that not yet ascended, but resurrected Savior. And they didn't recognize him. Somehow, either they were disoriented because they thought he was dead, or something about him was different, something had changed because of the resurrection. And he asked them, why are you so sad? And they said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who has not heard that they have killed our Savior, they have killed our Lord? And he began to talk to them further, and they sat down, they began to share a meal together, and it says their eyes were closed until the breaking of the bread. And when he broke the bread, there was something transformational that happened. Something that happened, the Spirit of God came upon them or in them or upon them. Or maybe they looked and they saw his hands and there were scars that were now healed from the cross that he had died on for their sins. He begged them to stay long. They begged him to stay longer, but he went on. He said, I'm not yet ascended to my Father. And so we see this this constant almost denial or somehow Trying to put it together, it's much like what happens today when you're the first time you hear about the gospel, and you listen to that gospel, you heard that message, and you go, it makes sense, but I don't know if I have enough faith. Or you wonder, did that really happen? And then, then there comes a point at which there's, there's a moment of shift in your life when you go, I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be saved, I want to know him. And it's at that moment when your will is yielded and the Spirit of God comes in his fullness that you come to a point of salvation, of transformation, of what the Bible calls being saved or being born again. And when that moment happens, everything begins to look different. The scriptures begin to look different. You see, before we have the Spirit of God, before we know God, we read the Bible and it doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden, once we come into faith in Christ, it's not that we know it all now or it all makes sense. It is that now we understand we have a perspective from which to go, and the Spirit of God is teaching us as we read the Word of God. So the more you read it, the more the Spirit of God can reveal to you and speak to you through its pages. You see, Jesus talked about the power of his resurrection, but so did the disciples. The one disciple, Peter, who was always seeming to get into the wrong situation. He was the one disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. And he just seemed to, to always say something wrong, and yet he denied the Lord there toward the end. You remember that story if you remember the account of Jesus. But who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter two. It said, men of Israel, listen, this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And when they heard that, the Bible says they were pierced to the heart. There was something that affected them on the inner man in the spiritual dimension. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But listen, later in that same speech, Peter, standing up with the 11, raised up his voice and said to them, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by you to miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves well know. He was calling on them to remember the day he was on earth. He said, do you remember the miracles? Do you remember the words? Do you remember what he did in your midst? Sometimes we need to do that as Christians we need to go back a little bit and say, let me recount what God has done for me in my past. Sometimes when you're burdened down with a problem, with a, with a trial, with a difficulty, it's hard to, to see any, any hope or to see a future. Then that's why you have to just look back and say, wait a minute, God has been faithful. You see, America's changed, but God has not changed. The God who loved you yesterday, the God who was faithful yesterday is gonna be faithful tomorrow tomorrow. It goes on to say that he was delivered by the predetermined purpose and knowledge of God. Now, that's, that little phrase has a lot to say, doesn't it? It says that he was delivered by God according to a predetermined plan. That is, it wasn't that they took him and murdered him and he resisted it was that God had set this out ahead of time because the plan was for him to die for your sins and my sins. When he hung on that cross and he cried out, quoting from both Psalm 16 and Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it was the first time that Jesus had ever experienced that sin in his life, that separation from the Father, because in that moment, he took on every sin of yours in your past, in your present, and in your future, and yet the whole world's sins he took upon himself. So he felt the weight of that in that moment so that you would not feel the penalty of that sin in your life, that you would be freed from the power of sin in your life, the penalty of sin, and you would be able to walk in newness of life. It says he he was taken by lawless hands. In other words, what they did was not according even to their own law. We find that happening today. Lawless hands have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So Peter's delivering this message and one of the things we need to understand as we think about God and the way that God works in our life is that you realize whenever you have a problem that God had a provision for that problem before you had the problem? You see, sometimes we say, God, I I don't know what to do and God says, I've already got a solution. Why are you worrying? That's why the Bible says, have no anxiety about anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Because God knows you've got, to, he's got the, the problem solved in your future. Why? Well, let me just show you from Revelation chapter 13, before time, how did God see you? You see, God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew that you were going to sin. He knew that even your best efforts would not result in salvation because it was too late. You were already a sinner. So look what it says, Revelation thirteen eight. 8. It talks about Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now I want you to think about that a moment. Before God ever created man, he knew what man would do, and he created a solution, a plan, in order to deal with man's sin where there was not yet sin. You see, well, how does that work? Well, you see, time is a creature word. Not a creator word. He created time so we could measure our life. But he doesn't, he all exists in the eternal now. Everything is present tense for God. People talk about eternity past, there is no eternity past. There is no eternity future, eternity is eternity. And in in the mind and the heart of God, in this wisdom, you say, I don't understand that. Well, you, you and I would have to be God to fully understand that, amen? I don't think we're there. And so in the heart and the mind of God, he said, I know what man is going to do, so I'm going to come up with a solution for man's problem before man has a problem, and then man can just walk into the solution. You see, that's what faith is. It's walking into the solution of God. Walk by faith, not by sight. If I walk by sight, I can't, I'm trying to, everything I'm evaluating on based on what I see. No, God says walk by faith. Walk into the solution. Walk into the miracle. Walk into the hope. Walk into the love. Walk into the joy. Walk into all of these things, amen? Not only was he before time, but he was on time. You see, when when Jesus came, he came at exactly the right time. And listen to what Romans 5, 6 says. When you were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's two words in the Greek that describe time. One is chronos, and that has to do with, with the passing of years or days. The second word is kairos, and kairos means an appointed moment. Christ died at an appointed moment designed by God in exactly the right time. Do you know that when you came to faith in Christ, you had a kairos moment? You had a moment where God says, I know exactly what you're going to do. And I know exactly how you're going to respond. And I'm gonna bring everything together in the perfect moment. Now, what happens sometimes is God brings everything together in the perfect moment for your salvation, and you resist. The Bible says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You see, when you hear the voice of God, when God is nudging you, you say, well, how does God speak? Does he shout from the heavens? Oh no, it's much louder. He speaks from the inside out. Have you ever had him get you there? You know, he's Jehovah sneaky. He's just always tricking you. He's coming in from the backside somehow. But you see, the Bible also has this promise of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation means I cannot get my way to heaven by my own good deeds. I need help. I need help getting to heaven. And I hear people say, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. And I say, well, you've already broke one just telling me that. <laughs> by the time you know there are Ten Commandments, you've already broke two or three of them, amen? Amen. You see, the Ten Commandments were never designed to save you or get you to heaven. They were to remind you that you were not saved, that you fell short of God's glory, that there was some standard by which God was going to evaluate your life and your heart. And the only way that anyone, Old Testament, New Testament today, was ever saved was by the mercy of God. God just finds mercy and grace Grace, think of that word grace, that the God without, you know, unmerited, unmotivated favor, he just loves you. Even when you don't love yourself, even when you think you're not lovable, he keeps loving you. What an amazing God. Let's go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop and kind of walk you through what he just said. He said, you're gonna go through trials. That's what it means to be a human. If somebody told you the day that you became a Christian, you would all your problems would go away, well, they lied. What it means is you have the power to navigate through those problems. That God will show you shortcuts, that God will find ways for you to get through those. But he says, What happens in a trial? Your faith becomes genuine. I think we've all had that experience where you go through a difficult time and you say, I'm glad it's over. Don't want to go through it again. But my, how I've learned and how I've grown. That's what he's talking about. The genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, may be found where? To the When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? When he returns, the Bible says in 1 John, it says, when he appears, we shall see him as he is. Are you ready for this next part? And we shall be like him. What does that mean? That means our sins are gonna be gone. We're gonna be be freed from the power in this present life of everything that holds us back. And it says, whom you have not seen, you love. Now, can you imagine that scene? Talking to a friend of yours, and you say, you know, I think this girl or this guy would be perfect for you. Really, yeah, I'd I'd like to go out on a blind date. That sounds good. Well, you know, I'm just so convinced you're gonna love them that I've arranged for the pastor to come. (laughs) And we've got a marriage license, and you're gonna get married the minute you meet them. No, 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 wait a minute, more I think about it. We can do the marriage without you even seeing or meeting the person. Now, what would you say? That's like your mom picking out your husband or wife. You don't want your mom picking out your husband or wife. My mom, that would have been a disaster. Well, what's wrong with that, what's wrong with that analogy? Well, the problem is, well, you know, the guy's gonna say, look, I just gotta look at her at least. And the woman's gonna say, well, I least need to see his bank account. I mean, something... Amen. But look what it says here. You've not seen him, but you love him. You love from the inside out. Searching what? Now look what it says. Searching what? Or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, who is in them, who the prophets of the Old Testament, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look. The prophets, as they wrote, they realized this doesn't make sense right now. It must be for a later generation. Think about Isaiah the prophet when he wrote in 700 BC and he was writing about the suffering of Christ, that he would be pierced through for our transgressions, a clear prophecy about the crucifixion. And yet no one was crucifying anyone in that moment. That wasn't even created until Philip of Macedon, the Greek, started doing it, and then it was perfected by the Romans. He was writing about a manner of death that didn't even exist in that day he talked about it's by your stripe by his stripes you were healed and Isaiah the prophet thought what does it mean to have stripes and he didn't know anything about the flogging that the Romans would inflict upon the back of our Savior for our healing would come through that atonement through that that redemptive moment in history Isaiah couldn't understand but he knew it was significant he knew it was important he was writing for us And then the last phrase is so amazing. It says, these are the things that angels long to look into. Do you realize angels don't know anything about salvation? You see, angels are either good angels or they're fallen angels, which are called demon spirits. But there is no redemption for them. You see, Christ never died for anyone except those created in his image, mankind. And they look and they think, what is grace? What does it mean to be redeemed? What does it mean to be bought back into the fold of God? One thing we do know is that genuine faith will be tested. Oh, your faith will be tested. And if you have real faith, you will stand the test. If your faith isn't genuine, you won't stand the test. Sometimes people will come to me and say, you know, so-and-so, they, they used to be a Christian. And I said, no, they never were. Like one guy said, he who fizzles in his faith had a flaw in his faith from the first. I know you'll have to think about that a little bit. There's something about the persistence of the believer that validates the relationship that they have with Christ. In fact, the Bible even says that that if I'm faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. What does that mean? That means God in me does not deny himself in me. You are bought with a price if you know Christ. You're the temple of the living God. You turned over ownership to God at salvation. And the only way you're really happy is when you walk in faith with God. If you're a Christian and you try to walk outside of faith, you're miserable. You're more miserable than a person who doesn't know Christ because you know better. Amen? But when you start walking with faith and you let everything just line up with God and his word and his spirit, it's amazing how good life can be in the kingdom of God. Amen? You see, the Bible reminds us that genuine faith will save your soul. The Bible asked the question on one occasion. Jesus gave this parable. He said, what will it profit a man if he gained the whole world and forfeited his soul? In those secret moments when you say what I want, what I want, what I wish I had, what if you had all of that but it cost you your soul, would it be worth it? Would it be worth separation from God for eternity? I hope you'll answer no, that wouldn't be worth it. You know, salvation is one of those things where we wanna make it complicated, we wanna make it religious. I like to tell people I hate religion. They say, well, that doesn't sound good coming from a pastor. Well, I do, I hate religion, but I love Jesus. See, religion is about somehow me trying to please God, make God happy. But I want—I have a relationship where God and I have this relationship through His Son and by the Spirit of God, and and it's an intimate thing. It's outside of religion. It's not me trying to prove myself through going through some ritual or recalling or re, you know some some phrase that going to get me into heaven. No, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you had a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have one now? Now, you know, there's people say I know I have one. And there are people say I hope I have one. And there are other people say I don't think I have one. If you if you have those last two, I hope or I don't. Can I just have your attention for a moment? Can I ask you Would you like to have one? Would you like to really know God? Would you like to walk out here today and say, I know that I know Christ? I think you would. I'm gonna offer a prayer. The words are gonna be mine. The faith is going to be yours. You can repeat this right where you sit or stand, whether you're outside, inside, or watching online. You can pray this prayer, and God will hear. You see, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise, we will be saved. not that a great promise? Here's how the prayer goes, just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for my sins. You were buried in a tomb. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. By faith, I receive you as my Lord and my savior come into my heart lord jesus may your spirit fill me may you guide me write my name in the book of life for all eternity in jesus name amen now just if you prayed that prayer would you just thank him right where you are just thank you lord thank you for that thank you thank you lord thank you for saving me Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now the next step is to follow after him, amen? To, to, to let Jesus lead you in your life. To be hungry for the word of God, to be hungry for his church, to be hungry for his spirit, amen?